Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. With supply chains becoming more complex, you need to stay on top of the latest logistics developments. So if you work with logistics, you need the Beyond the Box podcast from Maersk. It's the easy way to keep up to date with everything from digital disruption in logistics to the need for supply chain resilience in today's market. Find out more and keep ahead of the game with the Beyond the Box podcast on logistics insights at maersk.com slash insights. All right, welcome everybody to episode number 156 of Sports Cards Live. It is Saturday night, October the 8th, 2022. My name is Jeremy Lee. I would like to thank Cage Lawyer of the Lucas Tigers and Bronze podcast for joining us last time. That was a great episode. Thanks to Cage. And if you didn't see that, you can check that out on the YouTube channel or on the podcast platforms. I'd also like to thank Neil Rock for joining me this past Sunday for an episode of Collectible Live, where I streamed it from Harrah's at in Las Vegas. That was a lot of fun. Thanks to Neil for joining for Collectible Live. I also would like to shout out the crew from the Industry Summit, the Beckett Industry Summit, Ted Barker, Eric Norton, Ray Schulte for hosting an amazing summit last, last weekend. And of course, Alex Soriano as well. These guys did a great job. Thanks to them for hosting. Shout out to the to channel sponsor, the Center Stage app. Download the app in the app store for quick comps, whether you are pricing out cards or browsing at a card show. It is continuously improving, so please join me in supporting the great team they have over there and the innovation that they are undertaking. And I want to shout out Tag Grading. We will be set up at the Union Marketplace in San Diego's Del Mar, October 14th to 16th. That is next weekend, over 400 tables and 68,000 square feet. I just got back from Las Vegas two days ago, and I'm back out to San Diego on Thursday. Also want to let everybody know, the Anti-Expo is the Montreal Card Show presented by Heritage Auctions. I will be set up there. It is October 28th to 30th. 
I'm going to have tag slabs on display. Be sure to come by and say hi if you can make it out there. Hope to see you. It'll be my first time at this particular show in Montreal and also the Sports Card Expo in Toronto is November 10th to 13th. Can't wait to get back to that after getting sick the day before the show in June and having to pull out last minute. Excited to get back to Toronto for the Expo and tag we'll be doing on-site submission. So check that out. Kind of cool news for Sports Cards Live, everybody. Yesterday, I think it was yesterday, we hit 5,000 subscribers. So thank you, everybody. I am grateful for each and every one of you. If you're not yet subscribed, please take a moment. Go ahead and do so. And thanks to all the podcast listeners as well. Grateful for all of you. For tonight, as always, your comments, your questions are in play. Let's get to tonight's guest. He got his start in the hobby when his parents would buy him baseball, basketball, football cards in the first and second grade. He took off high school and college like many people did. And in 2020, he started his business in the hobby, which we will get into shortly. His favorite players are Albert Pujols and Peyton Manning. His favorite team is the St. Louis Cardinals, originally from and currently hailing from St. Louis, Missouri. Connor Walden, welcome to Sports Cards Live. How are you tonight? I'm doing great, Jeremy. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, you're welcome. It's good to have you. We've actually had a couple of uh, of chats over the last few weeks. Uh, I was when I was laid up with my bad back in in August. We uh, we spent some time uh, chit chatting, got to know you, and then of course the other day. So it's great to have you. I'm excited for what you're going to share with everybody. I know you've got a lot of great insights, and uh, what you're doing in the hobby is pretty cool. And I think people will be uh, inspired by your story. So. We're going to get into that in just a minute, but let's just take a sec and say hello to, we got Brian Adams out there. Good evening, Brian. Always good to see you. Justin Vick is here. Bill Betts, hello to you. Michael Stone, vintage card collector. Steve Elmore, what's going on? Michael Stone, what's up, Connor? Been a while. Hope all is good. Oh, that's pretty cool. You guys know each other. Jeff McMahon, looking forward to the show. Joe Perot, what's going on? Thank you, Joe, on 5K. Appreciate that. Yes, thank you, Jeff. Thank you, Michael Stone. Thank you, Vintage Card Collector. Only took two and a half years. I mean, some people get there a lot faster, but when your average video length is over 90 minutes long, it can be tougher to get the clicks. So I know that all of the people that are subscribed and watch this show are pretty loyal, and I appreciate y'all. There's Fowl Fieball. What's going on, Jeremy? Good to see you. All right. Well, Connor, let's uh, let's get into it. You know, let's, uh, as I like to do, I like the guests to get to know. I like the viewers, the chat to get to know the guests a little bit. So why don't you take us through a little bit about your hobby history and uh, and then we'll get into what you collect. But uh, yeah, take us through your history in the hobby. Sure. Yeah. So you you did a good job at the beginning. I really probably started collecting early on in elementary school. Uh, it was a nice kind of way when I would get good grades or, or play well in sports that my parents would either stop by. We actually have a local card store here in St. Louis, 1 million baseball cards. Uh, I'd also go to, you know, Target, Quick Trip, which is a gas station and just pick up kind of packs there. And it was a really kind of great way. I've always loved collecting. I've always loved statistics as well. So seeing the, the stats on the back of the card. And it was just a, an interesting way for me when I was young to kind of have an attachment to the, the games I'd watch with my dad. Uh, and so that's really kind of where I started out in the hobby, um, kind of going into the things that I collect. And it, it's kind of went full circle. So I really, the first set I really remember was 2004 Upper Deck Power Up. It's kind of a little bit of an oddball set that they made. They only made it for one year for baseball and football. And, you know, the players have big heads and they've kind of got these wild color designs in the background. And it was always something that stuck with me. Uh, and then now kind of full circle, it's back to what I'm trying to collect to get every parallel out of the set. And 
Now, my wife sometimes makes fun of me for it, uh, but I told her, and hopefully other people in the chat will agree, there's kind of a new card smell as well. And so, you know, I've been getting a lot of these cards in and people have probably been touching them and fondling them for a long time. But at the end of the day, they have a unique set smell that takes me back to opening packs, you know, when my parents would get them for me. And I think that's really what makes the hobby exciting and, and something that I love about collecting cards. <laughs> it's funny how those little things can be what get us excited, even if it is the smell of cards. But scent is an it's a it's an important sense, right? So it can take yep. us back in time. So you were talking about oh four, the power up set. Here we are, twenty twenty two. And uh, was there was there something that happened, or did you sort of get back into the hobby somewhat recently, like a lot of people did in either you know twenty fifteen or twenty seventeen or or twenty twenty with the pandemic? When did you kind of get back into it? Yeah, so it, it's kind of a multiple kind of step process, I think, for me. Really, one of the bi the big times was kind of right when I started to end, you know, high school, which was in 2015. I started to kind of go through my stuff because I was getting ready to go out to college, and it's like, what do I want to take with me, and not. And that was kind of when I started to, you know, have a recurring interest a little bit in sports cards. Um, but I would say really the big push for me was actually when I graduated college in 2019, uh, and moving moving back home once again, kind of going through my stuff as I was you know, looking to kind of embark on my own path, moving into my own place and, you know, finding my cards. And like I said, just the nostalgia, I think that at, at big life events like graduating college or other stuff, um, it's ultimately things like that to tie you back to a different period in your time. And that, that was also a time when my dad, who uh, unfortunately passed away a few years ago, was was sick. And it was something that really just tied me back to a time when him and I kind of shared, you know, watching sports together. And, you know, I remember him taking me to card stores. So 2019 was really when I would say I kind of completely came back in uh, oh, to the hobby. That's that a was a good, it's a good time. A lot of people came back in. Then. So in the intro and based on our conversation, I mentioned that, you know, back in the, back when you were younger, your, your parents would buy you baseball, football, basketball cards. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm in Canada. Hockey's my favorite sport. Are you, do you collect any hockey stuff at all? And, I, and so, I, know, I know that you do. Yeah, yeah, I knew I knew that that'd be something that you'd like. So ultimately, um, you know, it's funny because Upper Deck got away from kind of the, the sports that I collected uh, when they lost the licenses a while back. And so, you know, through through going to shows a lot now, you know, through supporting our business and, and interacting more kind of in the community and through having my own card store, I get to see a lot more stuff now uh, than I previously did. And, you know, I uh, actually got some UD Dazzler cards and I guess they kind of started doing those in 2020 for hockey. And they really caught my eye. They had a lot of the same bright colors that I remember through collecting Upper Deck Power Up. And the same thing, the, the, the thickness of the card stock and the smell of the cards take me back to the, car, the Upper Deck cards that I used to collect. So I've actually just started to kind of have that be a, a side collection uh, to my main collection. And I'm starting to go through uh, the pink Upper Deck Dazzlers from 2020. I'm going with Series 1 right now, but you know how it kind of goes. I'll probably go full tilt into all the years and, you know, all the different parallels at some point. But yeah, it's, I'm kind of into hockey now, I guess. Yeah, good. Hey, I'm I'm happy to have you. Well, welcome to the world of collecting hockey. It's like you just you just made a point that reminds me of of something that happens to me regularly, which is you know you start down the road of collecting a set like the Pink Dazzlers, for example, from 2020, and then you're gonna probably want to get 2021, 2022, and you'll have a couple choices. Do you go for the complete set or something I've done in the past is if I find a set becomes sort of repetitive and looks, I'll just go for the new players that were added to the checklist because you'll have some overlap in checklists between one year to yep. the next, but you'll also have some new players. So that's one thing you can do is just go for the new players. What's more, what are you more likely to do? Collect the full set each year or just add new players or just co collect a different color of Dazzlers? Cause I think they come in three or four different colors. 
Yeah, so I think probably the way that I'll go about it, I'm a little OCD, so I almost want every card. I'm probably a little bit old school. You know, I'm only 25. I know a lot of the guys my age maybe collect a little bit different than I do. It really, for me, it's kind of the stuff that I can tie back to the nostalgia. And, you know, the, the great thing about the Dazzlers is the cards aren't very expensive. You know, most of them are less than $5. And so I really am probably going to try to go through the whole set. I'll probably try to get all the things for all the years first. And then, you know, from there, you can do the gold from the extended or you can do the greens, the blues. But, um, you know, I don't know. My wife's probably going to listen to this at some point. So I'll just I'm going to stop soon. I'll just leave <laughs> it at that. <laughs> good stuff. Good stuff. Well, Jeremy makes a comment. He says, I love Upper Deck Power Up. I opened up many packs back in the day. I know I made two regular sets. I still have them. That's pretty cool. I got to admit, like, I remember them, but not that well. So it's nice to hear that other people do. And Michael Stone says, man, do I miss Upper Deck? Uh, mostly because I guess they don't make the sports that he collects anymore, which yeah. which does make sense. Uh, that's the way it goes for a lot of people. So, so okay, well, happy to learn more about your history, what you're collecting. and uh, But you've, you're an entrepreneur in the hobby. I, I, I like to dub hobby entrepreneurs as hobbypreneurs, even uh, center stage, the channel sponsor. I refer to them as hobbypreneurs. I think it's cool. you're a hobbypreneur as well. Mm -hmm. And uh, your company is called buysportscards.com. So yep. why don't you explain a couple things about this? Because, you know, as I said to you before, I like having guests on who have companies in the hobby, but I don't want this to be like an infomercial. I want this to be learning about the founder of the company, a bit about your team. We'll talk about that too. And just to explain kind of why we're going to get into all this but just to give people a heads up you know why you or how you identified an opportunity maybe a void in the hobby for what it is you're doing what it is why you're passionate about it. i want to get into all this stuff with you so why don't we start with you telling us what is buysportscards.com before you do i'm going to jump in and put on the ticker right now for everybody watching um for connor i'm putting on the ticker the website is buysportscards.com. How you can follow them on Instagram and Twitter. Note that they have a different account name on Instagram versus Twitter because I guess Twitter, you couldn't get the name. Someone else already had it. But with all that, why don't you take us through and talk to us about what is buysportscards. First, what it is, buysportscards.com. Sure. So buysportscards.com is actually a marketplace where we're really focused on making it easier to buy and sell sports cards. And one of the things that I think that we are doing that's really unique uh, is the fact that we actually focus more on the low to mid end of the market. And so, you know, kind of the introduction that we had, I hope, gives a little bit of a background on me. So I'm a collector and really the stuff that I do collect is not stuff that's going to be resold. It's really cheaper stuff that, you know, for some reason or another, uh, gets me excited and kind of takes me back to a time where it was more about how the cards looked and, you know, kind of make you feel and the players that you like than the dollar amount associated with them. And so, you know, the other part of, of kind of my hobby history is I actually own a local card store in St. Louis, Missouri. And what I found is ultimately the greatest motivation uh, to put, have put my life savings behind building this marketplace and to, you know, be able to put the hours that we have to build it uh, is that it was something that we wanted to use ourselves, And it was something that I really wanted for myself. And so, you know, I'm a collector. I'm somebody that sells online. I've used all the other sites out there. And the reality is uh, there's been a lot of times for me that I've been very frustrated with the experience that they've provided. And so we really believe that for the kind of this low to mid into the market, which hasn't got as much publicity and attention in the last few years, um, that there was an opportunity to be able to build a much more powerful marketplace and something that made it much easier to buy and sell cards online. And through my experience as a collector and somebody that owns a store, I felt like that I may have 
you know, unique insight on how to do it. And I didn't see that anybody else was really kind of going down the path that I thought was possible and would provide an experience, you know, that I thought would be good. And a lot of people that I talked to as well. So we decided to build by and we're really excited and hoping that we can be a place um, for people to find cards that they want to collect and also to sell cards that they may not want, you know, to an end user. Right on. Well, it, it's interesting because, you know, the low to mid end side of the hobby, you're right. It doesn't get a lot of fanfare exposure. Uh, doesn't get a lot of attention on social media from what I watch. You know, mm-hmm. there, there is, there is a YouTube channel called junk wax investor and he covers the low end say, you know, eBay sales and that kind of thing. But when I'm on Instagram, which I am for hours a day, you know, I'm on Twitter, you see a bit more on Twitter, YouTube, all the coverage is on the higher end of the market. Or I, I don't want to say all the coverage, but most of what I see is on the higher end of, of the of the marketplace. Not just might be how I've curated my socials, but that's what I'm seeing. And I think a lot of other people are too. I'm likely not alone in that. And so with that, I guess I want to just ask you a question. Like, does it frustrate you at all that there's no that there's not a lot of coverage on the lower end of the market? Um, and, I, and with that, I do want to mention that I have a, people in the Sports Cards Live audience in the chat oftentimes who I know are out there building sets, filling mm-hmm. in their, 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 you know, their binder sheets with commons from the various sets that they're collecting. And I know that, that there are even a lot of high-end people still collect low-end as well because it's fun. It's fun to collect a set. You know, here we just, Jeremy Wright says here, I'm also a set collector and love completing master sets too. So I know there's other people, there's people out there doing it, but do you find that that the low end of the market is underrepresented on social media? I believe so. Yeah. And, and that's one of the things that, you know, I try to talk to a lot of different people about. And there, there actually are some great content creators that do focus on stuff uh, on the lower end of the market. And as you mentioned, there are different pockets on social media. So it may just not be a place that, you know, you're collecting in as much. Um, but I, I would say that it's underrepresented. And I ultimately, you know, if you think about it, most people are not spending, you know, thousands of dollars every weekend to collect, but there's kind of some way that they have to scratch that itch. And, you know, one of the things that I think is difficult in collecting, and you've got to work within your budget on this is not getting to the point that the next card you need to collect you're priced out of. Um, And, and so that's where focusing on kind of these cards, a couple hundred dollars and less, I think for most people allows them to continue to play in the game. And you keep stumbling into new things like I have with the Dazzler set, there's always something cool out there. I mean, that's one of the great things about sports cards. Even if you get into non-sports cards or trading cards, there's so much stuff um, that I find to be really interesting that you can continue to look at. And so I would say at times it is kind of frustrating. I really do think that it's the silent majority um, that's out there. You know, I, I try to tell content creators, you know, remember there's lots of girls that watch the Kardashian show, but they aren't necessarily going to Bora Bora every weekend or buying, you know, $100,000 Louis Vuitton outfits. That doesn't mean that, you know, the lower end of the market, there's not people there that are spending money there. And, you know, one of the interesting articles that I had seen is that an eBay executive had said actually the majority of the dollar value and order volume on the site is five to $15 cards. And you, you wouldn't know that if you looked at social media or content creators, because nobody talks about them. Yeah, no, that that's definitely well said right there. And, and I, I certainly agree. A couple of comments here. Uh, Frank, good evening to you. Uh, Justin Vick says, my impression of Connor's site is fast load time and ease of use. That's a nice compliment right there. Michael Stone asks a pretty important question here, which is, what do you consider low to mid end? Yeah, I, I would say where we're seeing the most interest at this point in our website is really cars that are a couple hundred dollars and below. Uh, we do see things getting, you know, 
several hundred to a thousand, but really kind of where I would say the average collector is, um, which is kind of a couple hundred dollars and below. And I think that that's where most people would consider it. But, you know, Michael makes a good point. Everybody's got different budgets. Um, but I, I would think that that I'd be curious what you'd say, Jeremy, I'd say a few hundred dollars and below. And, you know, from there, we're looking to continue to work our way up uh, the market. But that's really where we're, we're intently focused on now. Yeah, I mean, on a card by card basis, it's interesting. You say a few hundred dollars. I mean, it's not too long ago where $200 for a card was high end. You know, that was, yeah. you know, it got a lot higher, of course. I mean, the the Wagner PSA 8, the first card ever graded by PSA, sold to Wayne Gretzky and Bruce McNall for $451,000 like 30 years ago. So mm-hmm. it's, you know, there's all there was always elite and super high end. But as far as mid end to low end, for me, yeah, on a card by card basis, I almost consider like up to maybe 20 bucks to be low end. That's mid, mid can be a lot wider because where does yeah. high end start? It depends on you, I think. Yeah. Really, well, it sort of does because then there's also wax product and, and price point at, at retail and hobby. So, but as on a card on a singles basis, I'm going to go, I'm going to just take a stab at it and say, you know, I think low end is up to about 20, 30 bucks a card. And then mid end would be, you know, that 20 or 30 bucks up to, yeah, probably 200 to 500, somewhere in that wide range. And then anything above that is likely high end. Uh, but I think everybody has the right to define that as they, as they choose. But it's interesting to hear, to hear how you do, because you're actually, you have a business model that is sort of servicing that mid to mid to low to mid high, low to mid range of the hobby. So. Uh, and Colin Murray says here that raw vintage is not talked about enough for the number of collectors looking for it. Do you, uh, do you agree with that sentiment? Are you seeing the same thing? Yeah, there definitely is a lot of people. And, and you know, that was something also, I think, around the excitement of the mantle um, at the National that kind of also was something for me that once again opened my eyes to a different part of the market. One of the things that I really love kind of about those early sets, you know, you've got 52 tops, 53 tops, uh, the 54 uh, dog, you know, the dog food, the root beer cards, different stuff like that is they're just great pieces of Americana. I mean, it takes you back to a time, um, you know, in America that was very different in a lot of ways. And, you know, it's just looking almost at a piece of art. It's very different than the cards today. And that's also something, you know, as somebody who loves history, um, it's really interesting to just go look at those cards because it's a completely different experience for me looking at, you know, like I said, uh, one of the ones is the 54 Red Heart uh, Stan Musial cards, one of the cards that I want as a Cardinals fan. Um, that's so much different looking at that card than looking at a Nolan Arenado or a Goldschmidt card for the Cardinals right now. And so I, I think that there's a lot of opportunity um, and maybe a lot of attention that should be given to that part of the market. Yeah, you're you're probably right. And maybe it's up to the people who are dealing in that end to, to uh, and I don't want to sit here tasking people with things, but, you know, it would be nice when we hear and we talk about the fact that it's underserviced in social media, whether that's, you know, YouTube, Instagram, wherever, uh, part of it does fall on the people that are, that are collecting these things, dealing in these things for them to maybe start to, you know, it's, it's funny to say, cause there's this big, there's a, a whole sort of uh, this rock and a hard place that anybody doing social media is stuck between because do you want to, you know, do you want to pump up your car? If you, if you share your cards, all of a sudden you're, you're pumping, you're hyping your stuff. It's like, we can't even show cards we collect anymore because you're going to get accused of hyping them. So there's there's that. That's a whole other conversation though. Uh, Michael yeah. Stone says, based on that being what we're talking about mid to high end, uh, those ranges, I think 80% of collectors live in the low to mid end. 
that's probably that might even be a low estimate yeah. at eighty percent, right? It just it just might be. So a couple. So I want to talk about really. You've told us uh, what buysportscards.com is, uh, and I have a whole bunch of questions about it. Maybe we'll start off uh, with this because a couple of people, you know, uh, T Dot said, "How are you different from Greg Morris, who's just an eBay seller?" So it's completely a different business model. Uh, mm-hmm. T Dot says, "You know, he's great for mid to low end." So why don't we talk a bit about uh, the competitors? Like, who do you see? Who do you see as competitors of buysportscards.com? Sure. Yeah. So uh, you hit the nail on the head with Greg Morris. I think that he does consignment. So very different. Our our site is just a marketplace. It's kind of a standalone marketplace. And ultimately, I think the easiest way to kind of see who our competitors are is who has the most cards on their website. Um, and ultimately, you start with eBay. eBay is pretty much anybody's competitor, whether you're on the low, mid or high end of the market. Um, but really kind of the other companies that I think that we offer a little bit different of an experience with, but they have a similar uh, selection and, and offering is ComC, Sport Lots, Beckett Marketplace, sites like that that have millions of cards. Um, so, you know, our site has now been around six and a half months. Uh, we have 2.9 million cards that have been listed on our website in that time. Uh, and that translates out to be about one card every six seconds since we launched the website, which is pretty incredible. And we're, we're very proud of that. You know, we had 1 million cards listed in the first nine weeks, which I'm pretty sure is the fastest any company ever hit a million cards. So I would say if you're kind of looking for who buysportscards.com is, is looking to maybe take some of your attention um, from, it would be some of the other sites that, like I said, focus and have a lot of cards that, like you said, are anywhere from 25 cents to $25 to $250. Yeah. So you just said that you had, a. I think you said you had a million cards in the first six, six weeks, nine. something like that, nine weeks. Mm-hmm. Where do those cards come from? Because a lot of people are going to think, oh, he probably put a bunch of his on there himself. Where did those cards come from? Yeah, so I, I actually personally, I do have cards. I have less than a thousand cards of my own on the website. Uh, it's really more of just kind of a way to constantly keep using the site so that we can improve and that I am a user. And I know if there's anything that are uncomfortable. Um, but we, we've, from the beginning, one of the things that I did as we were building the website was we built up our social media presence. So right now, I think we have about 23,000 or 24,000 Instagram followers. Uh, it was probably over 18 to 20,000 by the time the site launched. And it was a really great thing for me because I had a lot of ideas through my experience as a collector and also somebody that owns a store on what I thought would be wanted um, from me at least. And we did tons of polling to be able to get feedback from different users about what they thought would be the best things that we would have. And so from that, we were able to attract, I think, a lot of attention. A lot of people really liked our polls because you got good feedback on you know, how other people were collecting, how other people viewed the experience of selling, things that they looked for in a platform. Um, but we were able to kind of build in an initial user base from that. And then from there, you know, I've spent a lot of times going to card shows. I have friends that own stores. Uh, I have now a lot of colleagues that own stores that I've made connections to by going to shows and reaching out to them. And by having a shared pain point and a shared experience to them, we were able to kind of help migrate them off other sites as well. So it's been organic. It's been, you know, a lot of work early on. And then it's connections that we've made to other people that have been frustrated just like us and have lots of cards. Well, hey, I want to I want to give you kudos for that. That's the right way to go about it, uh, in my in my opinion. And uh, seems like you've had some success. It's a lot of cards to have on a, on a marketplace that's only six and a half months old. So you're obviously doing something right. Todd McDonald says, "Good evening, guys. Looks interesting. I wish Connor well with the site. Uh, the essential credentials. That is Matt says. Good evening, fellas. Hope you're enjoying your weekend. Thank you, Matt. And Michael Stone." says, I can verify the site is nice, easy to use. Connor just needs some time to get more eyeballs on buy sports cards. And hopefully we can help with that here 
tonight, Connor. Uh, from from getting from chatting with you a few times, uh, you know, hey, I'm a fan of yours, and uh, and I hope I wish you all the best for sure. Uh, Mike Stone all says any updates on providing standard shipping like eBay does for cards twenty dollars or less. Yeah, so I can I can go into that as well. So I think one of the things that makes BuySportsCards.com really unique and kind of once again uh, different from some of our competitors is we actually are not a consignment service. You're not sending your cards to me. I don't want to be a vault or anything along those lines. You know, as somebody that, like I said, is set up at shows that goes to shows, um, I think that it's very important that sellers have their cards in their own possession. I feel more comfortable that way. I think a lot of people do. Um, it also allows us not to charge you an insertion fee of 50 cents or a dollar on certain cards, which really starts to eat into the margin. And so ultimately what we've done, which I know another, no other site besides eBay has, is we actually do have built-in shipping APIs with discounted rates so that you can print labels, you can have signature confirmation, you can insure any of your packages. So you don't have to go through a stamps.com or a ship easy or any sort of third-party application to print labels, which is a pain point. And, and one of the things that we knew people would want on our site, you know, I couldn't say, hey, we're better in all of these other ways, but eBay is more convenient on the shipping. So we integrated that. Another thing, you know, Michael, maybe jumped the gun a little bit, but we have an exciting announcement this month that we actually have secured a contract to do an equivalent to the East, uh, the eBay standard envelope. So it's going to be called the BSC standard envelope just to be easy so people know what it is. But it's a tracked option for um, basically letter size below three ounces, and it's typically about a dollar. And we think this will be very beneficial the same way that people have seen it on eBay, helping them to feel comfortable shipping cars that they know that they're arriving um, on smaller orders and, and, and cheaper cars that you may not want to pay three or four dollars. That's something that we've got great feedback from. We actually have a user that you know was able to make a connection to a company that did it. Um, for us, which is awesome. And one of the things we really appreciate, and we're going to probably be unveiling that sometime in the next probably three or four weeks. So it's very exciting. Yeah. Congrats on that. That'll definitely be something that will, that people are aware of and, and like just from, uh, eBay. Speaking of eBay, you know, I want, I want to get into a bit more, uh, the catalyst and, and really how you did identify the need or the opportunity to, to start this company. And I'm just going to give you a tough sort of question how can you go against eBay? Like, why do you think, what makes you think that you can do that? Yeah. Well, you know, one of the things uh, that my dad told me from a very early age, and it still sticks with me, I actually have a little sign here in the office that says it. And it's a Henry Ford quote that says, whether you think you can or think you can't, you're right. And, you know, that's kind of always the way that I've looked at it. You know, I don't think that I stumbled into this um, with any preconceived notion that it would be easy. It's very difficult. And you'd say maybe even the odds are stacked against us from ever getting to that size. I mean, it's a huge company. Uh, they've done a great job of getting to that size over decades. Um, but that doesn't mean necessarily that even if we don't get to eBay side, that we don't have a viable business. And what, there's a few interesting questions, I think, within that. So the first thing is, why doesn't it currently exist? You know, and, and this takes me uh, kind of back to something that I heard about Amazon and Jeff Bezos. So one of the things was that they had a specialist that came over from one of the Japanese manufacturers of vehicles, and they were looking through their warehouses. And at the end of the trip, the guy basically said to Jeff Bezos, you know, I see, I see you guys cleaning the warehouse. I understand, you know, wanting to have a clean warehouse, but rather than constantly cleaning, you know, why don't we find what's making it dirty and kind of attack that? And that's the difference I think you see with what we're trying to do with what the other companies that are created marketplaces in the past have tried to do. Um, it would have been much easier for me to try to do a plug into eBay to immediately get eBay buyers looking at the cards to immediately get the initial sales. But ultimately, that wants to put, I think, the pressure on eBay that needs to be there to provide a better service. We would have just become a quasi-listing tool. And I think you see that with some of the other sites. Um, you ultimately see that their own site takes backseat to their eBay sales. And, you know, 
I think that you, if you look at it that way, rather than treating the symptoms and coming up with a new way, you know, you see some of the companies that have said, we know eBay is bad to list on, so we'll do it for you. We'll charge you an arm and a leg and all these fees. Um, other ones say, yeah, we know eBay's fees are high. We'll lower fees. But nobody has really tried to find a way to compete directly with eBay. And so I think that's why we're going at it in a different way. The other thing is you do have a lot of people in the sports card market that ask us, us that because they say that eBay is the 800-pound gorilla in the room. How could you ever, you know, compete with them or provide a better service than them or, you know, divert eyeballs or whatever else? Um, but I think it's interesting to think about the fact that if you kind of understand the e-commerce in the United States, Amazon and eBay are really the two parents of e-commerce. Amazon was the one that was initially able to get stuff to people quicker at better prices with a wider selection. eBay at that time then gets relegated to used items and collectibles. And slowly but surely over the last 15 years, you've seen these different segments of eBay's business, these different kind of cottage industries have business pulled from them by specialized marketplaces. You have StockX with shoes, you have Etsy with craft goods, you have, you know, cars.com, Auto Trader, Vroom, Carvana with cars, you have TCG player with trading cards, which eBay actually recently bought, which I think is proof that they were doing pretty well against eBay. You have reverb.com for musical instruments. There's so many sites that are out there that have been able to provide a specific experience and focus on one category. And because eBay is a jack of all trades and a master of none, people have gravitated towards those sites. And so that's what we're trying to do with buysportscards.com. Wow. Well, well said, man. Um, let's talk about TCG player for a second. Can you sort of describe because I'm not familiar with TCG Player as a platform. I'm just familiar mm-hmm. with the fact that eBay recently acquired it. Is, is BuySportsCards.com a sports card version of TCG Player, or is it a different platform altogether? I, I yes. realize it's a different platform, but is it a different style platform altogether? Yeah, so there, there's definitely a lot of um, similarities with our site and a TCG Player, and probably the reason for that is, TCG player was actually my first experience with a specialized marketplace. So I previously uh, sold a lot of Yu-Gi-Oh cards. That was one of the businesses that I had throughout college on eBay. And I had a friend that said, Hey, you got to try this other site. You know, it's much easier to use because they provide both tools for buyers and sellers um, to ultimately be able to, you know, interact online better. And so I went over to them and I really saw the benefit of being, you know, an inch wide and a mile deep in your understanding of the business rather than be a mile wide and an inch deep like an eBay is. And so, you know, one of the benefits I think of buysportscards.com is before I created the site, I went through different marketplaces, whether that had been a TCG player, reverb.com, went through things like chewy.com, which focuses in dog food, um, you know, the real, real Etsy, all of these different sites, Alibaba, Amazon, even ones that are our competitors like a ComC or a MySlabs or whatever, and looked at the things that they did, the things I knew people liked, the things that I liked. And I tried to take the things that I felt like were the best. And then I looked at the things that were pain points and tried to um, improve upon them. And ultimately, I think that, you know, on our site, you may see different things that, you know, we have inspiration and, you know, it's kind of just like anything else, you know, the industry is built on the shoulder of giants and hopefully, you know, we're kind of the next wave of company that the next generation says they did a good job and we want to take the baton from there. But ultimately, a lot of the sites that I kind of see in the industry, it seemed like kind of hit their ceiling in whether it be their willingness or their ability um, to take the marketplace to the next level. And, you know, I see a lot of outside companies from different industries, whether that be shoes or trading cards, trying to get into sports cards with the lack of understanding that sports cards are very different. They may both be cards, they may both be collectibles, but the users are very different and the experience they need is different. And so I thought we could do something there. All right, cool stuff. A couple of comments here. Uh, Nick, welcome to the show. Says the site looks incredible, easy to use, highly recommended. That's very nice. 
Philly Mamba. Welcome to you to the show. Said the site is amazing, the best out there. So I'm glad you shared that you're coming on because I guess a couple of people uh, who who are in your community are are watching and uh, want to welcome them to to Sports Cards Live. Colin Murray says, as a seller, eBay is very painful right now. To so this could work if you get the eyes. It's a good point, and I mean, it, you know, getting eyes is obviously very important. Teapot in the house. What's going on? Tyler, good to see you. Says, good to see you. Hi, guys. Good to see you, Connor. And uh, how do you, and then T, T dot, T pot, T dot says, how do you deal with rogues being a small player? So if I, I mean, I'm not sure what he means by rogue, but I'm going to assume that he means maybe, you know, someone who doesn't ship out a card after it's sold and that kind of thing, or maybe a, a bidder or a buyer who doesn't pay. Exactly. Yeah. So uh, one of the things I think that it was a big thing for me is the fact that, like I said, I have a store I sell online. And a lot of times I felt like the sellers kind of get the shorted at the stick. And the reality is as much as, you know, you see it online and everybody is very tight about both buyers not paying and sellers maybe not delivering, it doesn't happen as much as you would think. But I wanted to make sure that we put processes in place to make sure that we both protected the buyer and the seller. So one of the things that we do is whenever you're looking to buy something on buysportscards.com, you, you enter your payment and you're charged when you check out. Uh, same thing is actually when you send an offer, there's a checkbox basically saying, we're letting you know that we're pre-authorizing your payment to be charged on this offer. As a, Another thing that I think is important is we give the buyer at that point any time before the seller responds to cancel it. But if a seller accepts your offer, you're charged. And on the other end of it, we actually withhold the payment um, from being kind of beginning the process of being sent out until a seller ships the item. So we're holding the funds. Uh, and that was one of the really important things that I wanted to do. It was much harder, to be honest. We could have used PayPal actually as our, our payment processor to send out payments. But PayPal told me up front that uh, they were going to have complete control over the refunds. And that was something that I felt like was always very frustrating with a site like eBay. I always give the analogy that, you know, if you're on E-Trade and you buy Apple stock before the earnings call and they have a bad earnings, you can't contact E-Trade and say, hey, I still want to return the one share. Uh, it's still one share because it's now worth 10% less. And so, you know, that happens. Certain players either pop off or certain players get hurt and the prices are fluctuating very often. So we put some other, you know, provisions in place basically to protect buyers and sellers. The great thing is that we actually haven't had any sort of issue at this point. Um, and I think by being preventative and thinking about these things in advance in kind of the way that we structured our site, uh, it, it prevents people from you know, trying to exploit it. But unfortunately, there's always going to be those people. And and so we're ready for them. Yeah, and I mean, back to Colin Murray's comment earlier about, you know, needing eyeball, the desire for more, more eyeballs, more users so that you can bring more business for your sellers and therefore thereby attract more sellers. You know, right now you said you haven't had the issue, but as you grow, chances are you will have issues that you'll need to, you'll need to stick handle and figure out how to, how to deal with and what sort mm -hmm. of repercussions there will be. Um, what sort of, uh, what, what sort of growth have you experienced? You know, again, your, your, the marketplace, I've, I'm, I'm, I found it phenomenal that it's only six and a half months old. You've already got so many cards listed. What about your, your user base? Like not to, and I'll ask, we don't have to answer like how many users do you have? What sort of week over week growth, month over month growth have you been experiencing in the last six and a half months? And, and I ask this because it will sort of give us a trajectory as to perhaps where you, you're going and, Maybe there are some early adopter, potential early adopters in the audience watching right now that might give it a chance knowing that you're on a good growth trajectory, but I'll let you tell us what that is. Yeah. So like I said, one of the benefits for us in kind of building the social media early on was I was able to get an initial 
space that we were able to start listing cards. Uh, and from there, since we've launched the website, our users have grown at 23% week over week since the launch, uh, which basically averages out then to doubling your user base every three weeks uh, now for six and a half months. So things are growing quickly, um, you know, starting at near zero, being a new site, whether that be with sales or traffic, our users is very difficult, but I'm really proud of the growth. It's actually very much exceeded our expectations and some of my industry friends, uh, what they thought was possible. Um, you know, we're currently adding a few thousand new users every month. Um, and it, you know, I feel like sometimes I don't want to say numbers because every time, you know, going back a week or a few weeks or a month, it starts to dwarf the numbers. I mean, our sales are up last month over the previous month, which was the biggest was 120%. We're up 90% this month over last month at this point. So the numbers are growing really quickly. And, you know, compounding at that kind of rate, six and a half months in, the numbers start to be pretty good. Um, and, you know, one of the things I know people get worried about and why they ask, you know, they don't want to put in time necessarily going to a site. They think things may or not may not sell. Um, and people always say eBay's got all these eyeballs. But what they don't understand is eBay also has much more competition as a seller. Um, and so one of the things I think is that you have an opportunity to come on our website and maybe on eBay, there may be a hundred listings at 99 cents and our site may have two or three and you have a better chance of selling at that point. Uh, when somebody's looking for the, uh, that card, the other thing is the way in which we organize the website is much more user-friendly, um, by having kind of data as the foundation by having centralized product pages. And so when you go on to the website, you know, I think a thing people forget is a marketplace ultimately the best way you can be a good friend to your seller beyond tools of getting the stuff online is you present stuff in a way that's easy and easily digestible for your buyers. And so by us kind of doing things that make it much easier for buyers, we do see that people that come over from our competitors, um, including eBay, uh, you know, in their first month on the site in the first couple months, their sales are at the same, if not better in a lot of cases um, on our site. And so there's no promises there. It really depends on what you're listing, the prices that you're selling stuff at. Um, but we've seen great growth and I, you know, am continued to be really excited because we get such positive feedback. So, you know, we're not wrapping the business up anytime soon. And I think that, you know, hopefully next time we're on the show, I got a lot more exciting news about how things have gone. Okay. Well, good stuff. Uh, it'd be pretty cool if, if this, if your growth trajectory continues uh, exponentially as it has been, you just mentioned that one thing that you do that's different from, you know, an eBay and perhaps other marketplaces is that you have a standardized product page. So it makes me think, you know, there's a, a there's a whole kind of opportunity out there when you're searching eBay for cards, there's an opportunity to start misspelling players' names in order to find those cards that people list listed erroneously with a mistake. So if I were to type in Michael Jordan, I might not find a card that was where the seller made a mistake and typed in Michael Jodron or something like that, or yeah. left out the A or the E in Michael. And so I think a lot of, there are people out there who have kind of found a niche looking for cards by misspelling players' names. I guess from what you're telling us, that's really not possible on your site. Everything is, is, is spelled properly with that. That means you must have a, you must have a database. Can you speak to the importance of having a clean database and, 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 how it helps people not have to worry about misspelled auction listings. Yeah, no, that's a great point. You know, and that was one of the things that I always found to be uh, really and still is really frustrating with a site like eBay. So one of the things that we were able to do, we we aggregated a large database, you know, basically with checklist information. Um, and that is a two sided coin in how it really helps the website. So from one perspective for the buyer, it makes it a lot easier because now they're able to filter down based on actually what the 
the, the manufacturers are putting on the checklist. And so it's really easy for you to go through and define specific year sets, certain inserts uh, overall or for players. And so now whenever you're going down, you nail down almost like Amazon where there's a centralized product page for the product. And the great part about that is when you go there at that point, we basically have filters and ability for you to go through, but you can see all raw and graded cards in one spot. And so you can easily look at the seller, see what their feedback is, the conditions of the card, the price, the shipping. You can click on it and see their actual images that they've uploaded on the website. But now it's in one place. You don't have to go click through 100 different auctions, you know, scroll down, click into the description, see the, the fine print you know, that makes you end up saying, okay, well, this is not what I want. It's a reprint or whatever else. You know, you don't have people putting eBay one of one in the listing title, you know, and the other thing is it makes it much easier than to search actually on the site because the way that eBay works is they're basically casting a wide net based on all these terms because sellers can enter anything that they want. Whereas on BSC, because we have a catalog, everything is standardized and, and basically designed in a way that makes sure that it's organized. And so the other side of that coin is now that really helps sellers when they go through to list cards, because when you're on buysportscards.com, we have the data in our catalog so that you don't have to type in the player's name, the year, the set, the team, any attributes about the card, whether it's an autograph, rookie card, memorabilia. Um, that's all stuff that is pre-populated. So when you go through and say, OK, I want to upload you know, a bulk checklist for 2022 tops, we provide you everything. All you have to go through and do is to add your images put a picture or put your pictures. Um, then you would have to do your price, your quantity, and then you can upload the card. So now we're removing 90% of the work that you would have on a site like eBay, where now you got to go type through all these different descriptions, the titles, anything like that. So it saves sellers time. It saves them headaches because like you said, now they're not making mistakes and it makes it easier so that now when a buyer wants to find that card, it's there for them. Awesome. Good stuff. So you're, you're, you've got a few tools in place that just make it easier to upload and have and for people to find them. All right, a couple of comments that have come in. Uh, T dot says very impressive. I must say that's a big compliment coming from T dot. Colin Murray says, "What is the difference in profit for a seller on BSC uh, versus eBay?" I'm not sure if he's telling us it's five to eight percent or asking if it's five to eight percent. Do you know? Have you run the math? Yeah. So you know, this is a funny thing, and I we're about 45 minutes in now and I haven't mentioned this and I'm not even sure if you know this. So buysportscards.com at this point doesn't have any seller fees. So it's, it's 0% seller fees. I'm not taking a cut of any sales. Um, and so right now we're doing this because it serves as a really great, almost quasi marketing budget. The best thing, especially in this hobby is if I can get people to try the website, which a lot of the times the 0% fee gets them through the door, it's the quality of the site that keeps them to stay. I mean, that's why it's not the first thing. It's not the thing you put on the thumbnail is 0% marketplace, blah, blah, blah. It's really the tools that we're providing that excites people and has them tried the product, but a great way for us to continue to get people through the door. And when they use it, they say, wow, this is, this is pretty cool. They go tell a friend um, that's great marketing for us. So rather than taking a few percent, you know, from Peter to pay Paul, you know, which Paul would be Facebook or Google or wherever else, which is places we do do advertising. But if I can leave more money in the community and I do a good job and you go tell your friend about it, that's worth its weight in gold. So um, the profit is, you know, if eBay's fees are 15 or 20 percent, the profit margin is 15 to 20 percent more. Uh, and in some cases, as a buyer, you actually may see that sellers know that they have no fees. So they pass some of that along uh, to you, which is great as well. Okay, so that that there's a lot to unpack there. I have, I have some questions. I just got to watch these comments. We got a lot of stuff coming in. First of all, I'll say hi to to John Wee of Center Stage. Uh, T Dot says that's why I give free consultations. Best marketing ever. So, but I have to ask, 
if you're not taking any seller's fees, do you have revenue? Are you do you have any revenue? And if you and you shake your head, so you do not, what is the business model moving forward? How do you plan to turn profitable or to start generating revenue? Sure. Yeah. So like I said, you kind of, I think, understand why we're doing what we're doing at this point. At some point, I think that we're going to charge some sort of a seller fee, no different than kind of like an eBay, um, not anywhere near eBay's fees. I would say probably in the next three to six months, we may charge a few percent, a couple. Uh, so still a fraction of kind of the other sites that are out there. Um, but we may continue it for longer. Like I said, I mean, as it starts to kind of get the flywheel going and we continue to grow from it, it's a, it's a great, great thing. And it, it's a great thing, especially in this kind of economy, to be able to leave some money in the pocket of our uh, our users. And so right now I'm actually self-funding the business completely. I didn't take a loan. I didn't take outside investment. Uh, we have people that want to invest in us. We've had people that reached out before. Um, the reason I did that was because I didn't want to kind of lose the vision. I wanted to make sure I could do what I wanted to do and get it to the finish line and launch the site the way I wanted to. Um, but at some point I think we'll charge fees. So right now we have no advertisement. We have no membership fees. Um, you know, I'm not selling anybody's data or doing anything nefarious like that. We just have no fees because I want to grow quickly. And in a business like this, where you're looking to have low dollar cards, you need to have tons of cards and you need to have tons of buyers. And so 0% fees is a great way to get people's attention. And like I said, off a smaller base in sales right now, it, it's not going to really do much for us to, to take a fee structure. You certainly need to have a vision to, to implement that plan. So, uh, and you do, and uh, I congratulate you on that. Okay. A couple comments here. Uh, Nick welcome says you talked a little bit about the future of BSC. How do you see the industry developing over the next few years and where does BSC fit into that? I love this question because you could just go off on any direction, but I'll leave it to you. Yeah, no, I, I think that that's a great question. You know, one of the things I think that you may see different in the next couple of years versus what you saw in the last few years, I really think ultimately the collector is always going to be the foundation of the industry. Uh, there's nothing wrong with making money off cards. Like I said, I own a card store. Uh, that's kind of the business that we're in. But ultimately, I think that people that love collecting are always going to be the foundation. And so I really hope that buysportscards.com can be a place that people go online to buy and sell cards that makes it much easier for them. Uh, I hope that we can be informational in a lot of way because we have a lot of data and a lot of images. We have about 7 million uh, images that we've kind of gathered on our site. Um, but I really hope that we can be an alternative to sites like eBay and some of the other places, because, you know, there's a reason that some of these sites do exist. You know, some, I'm not going to say every single person by sportscards.com may be the best fit. I think that there's a lot of people out there that would really like what we're doing if they gave it a try. Um, but I just hope that we can be another option for people to kind of experience the hobby that really does mean a lot to me. I mean, I've, I put my life savings behind it. You know, I have now kind of two hobby related businesses and, you know, if I can have kind of a positive impact in that way, um, it, it would mean a lot to me. So I hope that we can continue to do good for people and, and kind of uphold the values that I have as both a collector and uh, somebody that loves the industry. Can you speak a little bit to Nick's part of the question about how you see the industry developing over the next few years? Like if you, anyone with a business in the hobby right now has to be, uh, you know, observing the the peaks and valleys that we've seen in terms of you know the price of retail uh the speed at which companies are putting product out the price of grading going up and down uh and just the overall you know in the indices of of the secondary market of singles kind of go up and come down all, all of that sort of in consideration how do you see the future of the, of the industry well, I'm excited about it. I mean, like I said, I, I have businesses that I'm bringing in and ultimately we launched the site probably um, about a year after kind of when price peaks are 
I guess, depending on which kind of market you're in. So I am ultimately excited for the hobby. Like I said, I really think it'll be more collector oriented. Another thing I think that as a local card store, um, there's obviously going to be a lot of stuff that Fanatics is doing, which is going to be cutting out middlemen. Um, and I think that the secondary market will become even more important for people. Um, I think for a lot of stores that they may want to start to transition their business to be more singles oriented rather than relying on wax allocations. Um, Cause I don't think we know what that's necessarily going to look like. Um, but I think it's going to come down a little bit um, from where, I mean, some prices and stuff kind of went crazy. I mean, we, we start to see some of that reeling it back in. What I really hope though, you know, as many people are at times cynical about a lot of the new people that came in, I think that there's a lot of great people that have come in. You know, you see John in the chat. I think you see, uh, you know, myself and other people that are trying to do great things for the hobby. And there's a lot of great collectors that came in and maybe at first money's what caught their attention or the excitement of being a part of the community. But there's a lot of people that are going to be lifelong collectors that either came back or came for the first time to cards. And I think it's really exciting. It's it's tumultuous. Uh, the world's crazy. Nobody knows what the next few years are going to look like. But I'm positive. I think there's a lot of great people doing great things. And, and if you're doing those kind of things, I think it can only get better. Awesome. Okay, good stuff. I want to say hello to David Lampley. Welcome. Michael Stone, another good question, says, when a new set comes out, how long does it take BSC to load the database onto the site? Yeah, so it'll kind of depend on the site, um, which um, which sets those are. So, you know, some of them will be as quick as they come out. Other ones maybe, you know, in some cases we'll have people reach out and say, hey, it's been a couple of weeks. You know, where is this kind of side set that maybe kind of flew under the radar? It'll ultimately depend. You know, one of the things, though, that we have actually in multiple places throughout the seller's lockers, if we're missing any data, feel free to reach out um, and our team will basically go through and add it. So it's it's a lot to try to do. Um, you know, we're piecing stuff together from all different places to be able to kind of have the information. Um, but I don't think that it's overly long. Cool. And Brian Adams says, will you sell out to fanatics if they were to try to buy you out? <laughs> that, that's a cynical question. Um, you know, to be honest with you, I, I'm not against working with anybody. I wouldn't slam the door in anybody's face. It's very important for me though. Um, you know, I have the benefit, like I said, of self-funding the company. So I don't necessarily have to do anything that I don't want to do. Um, there has been some big companies that have reached out to us in the past. And ultimately, the biggest thing for me at any of these points is to make sure that, you know, I don't want to do things that squeeze our users for an extra tenth of a percent of profit if it means kind of compromising the values and, and burning our relationships. You know, you you see that a lot of the marketplaces right now are viewed as more of adversaries than partners. I think that a marketplace is one of the key pillars of the industry. And I think that it's important to have people who love cards and collectors running it. And so, um, you know, I'm not looking to sell the company. I, there's a lot of people that have created businesses in this industry and I feel like they got into it with that. I always say, you know, it's like getting married and looking for your next wife or looking for the divorce. That's not really why we did it. We built the company to last, but ultimately if there's somebody that shares our vision um, that they seem genuine about wanting to project it and they can take it to the next level so that we can ultimately see our dream fulfilled. Um, I'm open to talking to anybody. You know, at this point, it's not something that's happened and you can kind of sniff through those conversations pretty quickly. But like I said, never say never. Good stuff. Brian Adams is satisfied with your answer. Ian Undercover says, love the layout, love the layout of the site, buying some Otanis now. So there you go. Uh, maybe a new customer uh, awesome. right now, right here. So that's pretty cool. I want to talk a bit about uh, the database that I alluded to earlier that you, you're, you, you called it your catalog. And I want to know how many cards are in it and how, and, and of 
you know, you don't have to tell me exactly or tell us, but you know, how many cards do you, what do you want to tell us about how many cards you have in your database and what percentage does that represent of all sports cards ever made? If you know. Yeah. So I, I think we have close to 15 million. Uh, you can actually see it on the website. If you go and you turn the in stock filter off, it'll show you in the top what the number of results are. Um, I would hope that we're over nine, you know, between 95% and up of the cards. Um, sometimes there's weird stuff out there. I mean, especially as you get into some of the older stuff, some of the promotional things that they've done. And like I said, we're always able to add those. Um, but we've worked really hard to try to aggregate it. You know, I know we talked about this before. There's really five ways I think that you can do it. I know you guys at tag are kind of tasked with the same thing we are. And so, so is John, uh, at center stage because there's just so much information in the industry. So you can really either do it manually. Um, you can have it be user generated. You can buy data, you know, you can, um, you can use free websites online or you can use the, the manufacturers to pull stuff in. And, and we've had a pretty equal spread across the board of how we've done it. You know, that means that there's sometimes we need to make adjustments if maybe things are displayed incorrectly. Um, and one of the great things is as our user base continues to grow, um, they really, really help us a lot to fill things out. And they're very accommodating and understanding. And one of the huge parts is when they're uploading cards that we don't have stock images for, we actually have programs in place um, to pull their images in. And there's some manual verifications that we do, but it constantly allows us to keep improving it. And ultimately the, the images and the data on the site are really there for references. So I hope that it can be something that's informational for people when they get on the site so that, you know, now they can find a, uh, an insert for Shohei Otani from ninth or from 2018 that they didn't know existed before uh, because we've laid the, the, the data out in a way that's beneficial to them. But I think that we have a lot. I mean, we, we have a lot of stuff, not perfect. If there's ever stuff that's missing, feel free to send us an email, but we've done a good job, I think. All right. Good stuff. I sort of changed directions for a moment here. Um, one of the challenges I know that every company in the hobby has is customer service and really talking to responding in a timely manner to their customers. Can you speak a little bit to your customer service department? Maybe let us know you know, if you want, how many people are in it? How many how many inquiries do you get? How many tickets are opened up on a daily, weekly basis, uh, six and a half months into the life of the marketplace? And uh, and yeah, just tell us a little bit about customer service, what you're offering there. Yeah, so I think that we actually have really great customer service. So, you know, weekends, late at night, there may be some people in the chat that can attest to this. I mean, 2 a.m., there'll be people sending messages. You know, I, I think this is a part of a bigger thing with, with our company. Um, so we, we only really have a couple of people that are helping out with customer service. If James is kind of our, our main guy, if anybody's dealt with him and he's kind of a night owl up around the clock. But um, ultimately, one of the things I think is really special about buysportscards.com is we actually built a team. So one of the things people told me very early on was the smart thing to do would be to hire an outside company to do our technical support, to handle our customer service, you know, outsourcing it to some whether it be a third party company or a third world country, you know, going to the Ukraine, uh, going to India, going to Brazil, China, wherever else to get developers and stuff. And the problem with that for me was that I felt like if you're going to be the best at what you do, you have to be the ones doing it. And so I wanted to build people that were as passionate as I am about doing this, that cared about the industry and that shared the excitement and the vision that we had. And so that's where you probably don't have, you know, other people that are working around the clock the same way that we are in a lot of ways. Um, and I think that allows us to continue to improve upon the website because there's not a huge bureaucracy. There's not, you know, hey, let me send this to this co company and have a back and forth. You know, we are doing everything. And a lot of people wear different hats, um, but we're very, very receptive. Um, I would say within typically within a few hours, unless somebody's asleep, which is maybe only four to six hours a night if we're lucky. 
um, you're going to get a response. And so that that's something that we've been really proud of. And I think it's really important as a new site to build up some sort of credibility and respect because people get nervous. I mean, people get nervous trying something new and it's something that I really do understand. And so I make sure that, you know, our team at, at every corner is doing the best we can to do everything we can for the customer. And if we can't, then to relay why um, we're having issues, you know, why the policies are the way that they are. But I think if people know and they get prompt responses, they at least have respect for you to know that you're trying. And, and so that's been really good for us. Nice, nice. Well, Colin Murray wrote, just signed up. And I'm proud of that. I want, I want to tell you why, like why I'm proud of, of that comment by Colin. And thank you, Colin, for signing up with Connors by sportscars.com. It's because, you know, and I said at the outset of the show, I love bringing on people to the show who may not be known yet uh, and, and just introducing them. And I always say, you know, people want to do business with people that they like. And this tells me that Colin Murray must think you're a likable guy. And that's, that's a compliment. It, it's, it's flattering. It's nice for, for, for you, Connor. I'm happy about it. I think it's a cool thing. So great. Thanks for letting us know, Colin. I think that's really cool. Um, I want to talk about some challenges that you may have been experiencing. Listen, you're going into a, you're opening up a, a marketplace in a, in a very finicky sort of hobby and there are some 800-pound gorillas in the room. We got eBay, we got ComC, we got Sport Lots, among a couple of others as well. So what sort of challenges have you encountered? And, and with this question, I know I'm going to double-barrel this question because I want you to sort of also think in the back of your mind when you're answering this is what advice would you give up, upcoming or wannabe hobbypreneurs who want to step into the space and build something for the hobby? So challenges and advice sort of at the same time i think you can do that yeah so i would say one of the the big challenge for any marketplace is always the chicken and egg it's how do you get buyers if you don't have sellers how do you get sellers if you don't have buyers um i I think one of the things and hopefully some of the people in the audience see this is you know the passion that we kind of have behind the business the vision that we have um i think it, it at times is infectious there's a lot of people that joined our project that told me that it was my excitement really that got them there. Um, and so that was how we were able to kind of solve that, which is always the biggest problem in any marketplace is how do you, you know, if you get people to the website, you don't have a selection, you're, you're in trouble. And, you know, even at almost 3 million cards, I think in the next week, we'll probably pass 3 million cards. It, it doesn't feel like anywhere enough. You know, it, I thought at a million, okay, this is going to be, a, you know, this is a good point. And then it's like, well, no, two, three, five, ten, 10. And it, it's never enough. And maybe that's part of my personality. That's maybe one of my big strengths and weaknesses that that's been a big thing. Another thing I would say is I have a lot of ideas. Um, I think that I can be, you know, I have lots of visions for what I want out of our marketplace and how I think that we can help the community and and the hobby. And there's so many hours in the day only and having a smaller team, you know, a lot of people that are on sweat equity and just believe in the vision there there's limitations. You know, we don't have a thousand developers sitting around the clock and why, while I'm able to act more unilaterally on the way that I do things so that I think we do things much quicker than other sites. There's not all these bureaucracies. And I think that I know exactly what we want. Uh, There's the limitation of there's only so many hours in the day. And so it seems like everything takes a few weeks to a month. And so that's one of the things that um, it's exciting, but at times it's like, you'll have people reach out and say, Hey, when are you guys going to do this? Or this is something we'd like to do. And it's like, yeah, that it's kind of on the product roadmap. Um, And so it's just like, just hang on. We're going to get there. I promise you, you know, I don't want to be one of the sites that for 20 years you say, hey, this, the, you know, the experience of the site is very outdated and it never, you know, it falls on deaf ears forever. That That's definitely not our site, but it's 
it's constantly having a vision for things. I think I have ideas for a few years out plus, and it's just like one day at a time. That That's a difficulty. Uh, going to what you kind of said about doing something in the industry, uh, it's almost a superpower, I think, to be able to focus intently on something you're passionate about. Um, you know, for me, with this being something I love, you know, I have a, a 10 and 10 month old son, 10 and a half months right now. I was newly married as I started to do this business. And I have to sacrifice a lot of time away from people that I love and care about. Um, but if it wasn't something I loved, I wouldn't be up till, you know, 2 a.m., 3 a.m., 4 a.m. at different times, uh, you know, to push through and to get features up on the website. And so I think that if you have something that you care about and you're passionate about, there's an opportunity there. Um, and, I, and I think that it's really important for people to think about that and not to be discouraged. I mean, I have mock-ups of what the website looked like the first time that I did it. I'd actually teach myself how to use Photoshop because I wanted to design every page. And people would probably laugh if they saw what it looked like. But it just goes to show that if you work really hard, you're very passionate about it. And, you, you know, you're going to have to make sacrifices. It won't be easy. But if you have that underlying desire and, and want something really, really bad, um, you'll be able to find a way for it to be successful. And the one thing I would say to people to make sure is you got to find a good balance because there's been businesses that I've had at times, my card store, uh, sometimes when it becomes a business, it ruins the enjoyment of it. And so that's something that you've got to be really cognizant of. And I'm glad I had that experience in a, in another business because I was able to kind of take the necessary precautions that I needed to with this one to make sure I didn't burn myself out or ruin what made me want to do it in the first place. So if I could summarize balance, passion, persistence, focus, yep. and just a desire to, to build something great. Okay, cool. Um, let's go. Colin just posted this. I guess he's already looking into getting stuff up. He says, how long would it take to list 500 cards without a third-party listing tool? Yeah, so we don't actually have any third-party listing tool. We, we've built our bulk upload tool on our website, and I think it is actually f far superior to anything else that's out there. So because we provide the checklist, you don't have to type in all the information. Um, you know, a good example, I actually have one seller that I don't know exactly how many hours he was on the website. Um, but I would say between probably four and six hours one day, he listed 25,000 cards on our website. And because we have a bulk upload tool that provides checklists, you're able to de do default pricing and then go in if you want to adjust it for certain stars, you can go down the line like an Excel spreadsheet to do quantity. Uh, and on raw cards, we actually allow you if you want to, you can use our stock images, you can always upload your own. But you know, there's a lot of cards out there where they don't get listed online because for a 25 cent card, the amount of time it takes to do a scan or a picture for some people isn't worth it. But the reality is there's somebody kind of on the other side of that transaction that liked that card. And, you know, if they, if you say it's near mint, that's good enough for them. They just want it in their collection. So, I mean, you, you like I said, we have somebody that's listed 25,000 cards, probably in a four to six hour period. Uh, I, I think you can easily list over a thousand cards in an hour, which, you know, I don't even know if you could do that in a day on eBay or some of these other sites. Well, there you go, Colin. Sounds pretty quick to me. All right, let's go to Frank Chain. Says, with TCG Player recently being bought out by eBay after they bought out Channel Fireball, it gives them a stranglehold on the CCG singles market. Are you planning on expanding to have CCGs on the site? I just signed up too, by the way. Well, thank, thank you for Frank. yeah. Thank you for signing up, Frank. Uh, no, I'm not looking to have CCGs on the website. Uh, we're not looking to do memorabilia. Um, right now we're only sports card singles. I think we may do sports card wax at some point, but the reality is, you know, I, I actually talked to Jeremy about this before. So my, my local card store is probably 99% trading card games, really. Um, and that's really where, you know, I have a ton of experience selling and, you know, it's funny because 
there's a lot of sites that try to dabble into to trading cards as well as sports cards and other stuff. I probably understand trading cards just as well as I do sports cards and probably better than anybody else that has a marketplace because I have a store that, you know, is doing over seven figures in sales doing it. And, and through the experience of having that, I understand that they're very different, and, you know, and, and I can get a little bit more into that as well. But trading cards are extremely different from sports cards. And, you know, you do see with companies like TCG Play or StockX or all these different companies that have had, they've been successful in a certain vertical. They try to copy and paste the formula over to a different collectibles category. And all of them miss the mark that you need a very specialized experience just because it's a trading card. It's not the same as a sports card. The end users are very different. The things they're looking for are very different. And so we would rather be an inch wide and a mile deep. I'd rather be the best at sports cards and constantly prioritize them. Um, than to be a jack of all trades and a master of none. I don't want to be a hypocrite for some of the things I've said about other sites. Okay, good stuff right there. Uh, Michael Stone, how are you getting the word out about BSC? Yep. So we've uh, we've grown our social media to be pretty big. Um, we do do advertising. Hopefully people have seen them. Uh, if you're not going to go to the website, please don't click the link because it cost us. Um, but we, we have advertising online. A lot of word of mouth has been very beneficial. You know, I'm at lots of the shows hustling around. Uh, maybe if you don't know already, I'm kind of a workaholic and I'm very passionate. I want this really badly. Uh, and then, I'm, you know, I'm doing things like this. I'm, I'm on with Jeremy. I'm really going anywhere where I can share um, my vision for this and hopefully provide people with an opportunity to buy and sell cards online in a way that I thought would benefit me and I knew would benefit a lot of other people. And so, you know, I'm I think that I'm doing everything I can possibly do. If there's suggestions though, Michael, I'm definitely open. One of the things I always ask people is if you were in my shoes, what would you do? How would, how would you get the word out? How would you run the company? Um, because I've tried a lot of things I can tell you, but there's always that one little nugget that somebody has. And even if it's just a different way of looking at the problem, that's very helpful. And so, you know, Connor, C-O-N-N-E-R at buysportscards.com. Feel free to send me anything. I love feedback and I, I, any help you guys have would, would be more than welcomed. All right. Good stuff right there. Yeah. And I, I'm really proud to have you on and help you get the word out. I, I think, uh, you know, you're just, you are a, a hard worker, likable guy trying to, trying to, you know, provide a tool to the hobby. So um, I'm just, yeah, I'm happy to help you. And I'm glad that we've found you a couple of new users tonight. I think that's really cool. Uh, Dot has a, a comment here. I think I'm, I'm going to read this out. He says, as a longtime eBay buyer, I see that a premium is paid for trusted sellers and one I am willing to pay because of trusted sellers. Do you think it will take time and that is, sorry, you think it will take time and that is built into some prices? So I think he's just saying like, do, do people get more money? Do some marketplaces get more money for cards because the, sell, the sellers are trusted I think the answer is probably obviously yes. So you don't need to answer that. But let's say, do you have a feedback system on your site? How do people know that a seller on buysportscards.com is trusted and has a great reputation? Let's let's frame the question that way. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, on, on any of the product pages or where any of the kind of the listing rows are, you always will see the feedback percentages for our sellers. And we, we have really great sellers. I mean, that, that's one of the things I know people get worried about with new sites is that maybe kind of the the, the bottom of the barrel people will try to go there to be scammers or whatever else. You know, if you go on our website, whether you recognize the names or, or not, there's a lot of big sellers. There's a lot of people that have great reputations that they've built in the hobby hobby for years, in some cases, decades. Um, and the other thing is there's even people that don't necessarily sell on our website right now that are very well-known and prominent 
uh, sellers online that have a lot of belief in what we're doing as well. So I, I don't really think that if you see discounts on our, our website because of the prices that it's because people aren't trusted. I think that there's always an element of building trust and that's something that we're working really hard to do. Um, but I think that the biggest reason you may see some of what you would think would be built into the pricing would probably just be the fact that we don't have fees and people say, you know, hey, if I can, you know, cut my prices 5% below the eBay low on this website, and I still net out 10% more, um, you know, then why not pass it along and, you know, kind of help this new site grow if we kind of believe in their vision. And so, yeah, I, I, I think that we do have really trusted sellers. Like I said, we do have feedback mechanisms in place. Uh, we are monitoring things and, and we have, you know, internal systems where we kind of score sellers based on how quickly they're shipping items and their feedback and things like that. So we are taking steps necessary to protect, but we know that we're going to have to earn people's trust and that's okay. Definitely. And, uh, something we all have to do in the hobby right now with the business is earn the hobby's trust. Uh, Channel Sold, uh, welcome to the show, says, do you open the trading cards with gloves and scissors because fingerprints ruin the value? I hope everybody watching Sports Cards Lives knows that fingerprints are not something we want on cards, whether you open them with gloves and scissors. I'm not sure. Uh, I don't myself. I know how to open up a pack of cards and not touch the surface. I'm sure you do uh, as well, Connor. Uh, and Frank Chain was happy with your explanation. Michael Stone says, we talked about this, Connor, but in this hobby, no doubt, word of mouth is the best, really the best promotion you can get. So mm -hmm. let's talk about word of mouth. And, and I want to I wanna ask you this because, you know, we are in a, we're in a hobby where anyone who wants a platform can have a platform and they can pretty much say whatever they want on, on various of these platforms like a YouTube, a, an Instagram, a Twitter, Facebook, et cetera. How do you deal with, let's say, negativity uh, when people kind of come at you? I know I'm not, like I said, I'm not, I don't know for sure, but I'm going to say I'm sure it's happened to you. I'm sure it happens to everybody. Um, you know, you're putting your heart and soul into this and your life savings into this business. Uh, how do you, how do you respond when you do see somebody kind of make a negative comment about what you're trying to do? Yeah, uh, I would say I, it's obviously frustrating. I mean, at times, you know, I hope that those comments don't come through at low points because, you know, in any business, you know, in any, any time you're doing anything that is difficult in life, there's up and downs. Um, you know, at the end of the day, I think that the important thing to remember is the, the overarching vision for it. Um, you know, I, I had said this to you earlier on um, and, and when we were talking about different stuff, um, the hobby is just the real world. I mean, it, I don't think that it's necessarily a better place or a worse place. I think the great thing is that people share a, um, you know, they share a common interest and that brings people together from all walks of life. But one of the things I think is important for people to remember is that you may not ultimately agree with my diagnosis of the market or that something needs to be done for eBay and that's okay. Uh, you may think that there's a problem and you may not think that my website's the right solution and that's okay too, but we do have pure intentions. Um, it is not a charity. It is a business. I'm looking to make money. I am trying to do things what I think is the right way. Um, and ultimately I think that when you see people, whether that be content creators, whether that be people that are in the business doing things that you believe in or they're people that you just think are good people, try to find different ways to support them. And, and that doesn't mean you need to get on our website and max out your credit card or whatever else. But, um, you know, the kind words are also really appreciated. And, you know, sometimes I think maybe just in society in general right now, people are quick to jump to thinking negative things. You know, I've had, I mentioned to you, Jeremy, that we had an email where somebody reached out and they're like, this website sucks. And it's like, no, you hear, you, you know, they had an issue with a certain thing. I'm like, you 
you just needed to search it this way or whatever. And then they're like, oh, you know, I really love the website and the way it's set out and everything else. And it's like, I understand. I mean, you know, I, it started to happen enough where it's like, I understand, you know, that these are just people, maybe they have a bad day too. You know, I have bad days, they do. Um, it's hard, but ultimately, um, I think that if you have an underlying love for what you're doing and a passion, you have to have that thing that you come back to that says, why am I getting up every day earlier? Why am I staying up every day later? Why do I push through the negativity? Um, and you know, the reality is there's a hundred compliments for every one insult. So I just try to, you know, go back and look at the, the compliments that we have, the people that have found my personal Facebook and said, thank you for what you're doing, because all the things that you're speaking to, I felt like, and, you know, I'm glad that you're kind of taking up and championing this cause. So it, it's tough, but, um, ultimately I understand where people are coming from and we hope to win those people over. And in a lot of cases we have. Yeah. Oftentimes that becomes an opportunity to convert somebody. If you can fully inform them on what you're trying to do and help them through their, through the issue. I think that's a great, a great response. Uh, T-Dot throws out what is maybe uh, one of the best compliments you could possibly receive. He says, you're the Connor McDavid of card selling entrepreneurship. I mean, I know you're into hockey now, so you know who Connor yep. McDavid <laughs> is. And uh, that's a, that that's high praise right there from T-Dot. Uh, Teapot. We got T-Dot. We got Teapot. Teapot says, I can relate to the up until 2 a.m. to get the job done. It's a work of passion, trying to do something of value and to do it in the right way with humility, dedication, patience, perseverance. And I'm going to add thick skin because, you know, and I know Teapot works with Jeff Wilson, Sports Card Investor on the Market mm -hmm. Movers app that they have. And I know that they get their fair share of criticism. And you have to have some thick skin as well. I love Teapot's comment, uh, Teapot, and thank, thank you for that. I want to read it again. Do it with the right way. Do it the right way with humility, dedication, patience, perseverance. Yeah, well said. Well said, Teapot. Uh, Michael Stone also says, well said, Teapot. Is there something you'd like to say? I'm going to put it back up there uh, for you, Connor, but is there something you'd like to say to Teapot or based on this comment here? Because I think, uh, you know, and you and him have a lot and have, have something in common. You're both working on building out these tools. So uh, I'll give you a moment to, uh, I'll give you a moment to address that. And uh, and now I just see at the bottom here, Colin Murray, that before you do that, says no selling from Canada, trying to list a card. Yeah, you might want to address that. We do have, you know, the Sports Cards Live audience is about, uh, I think we're about 18% Canadian. So can you address uh, business in Canada for what might be a disappointed uh, potential seller here? Yes. I'm sorry, Colin. Uh, so one of the things, like I said, is that I want to make sure that we're doing things the right way from the beginning. I don't want to get too far over our skis. We're not a huge team. We're a very passionate team. We do have some great people. There's just a lot of things around, whether it be in certain parts of Canada, the languages, different stuff around taxation, because you know, through our vendors, we have to send 1099. There's stuff with sales tax because we remit sales tax for these sellers. Um, and so at this point, we don't have Canada as an option. Um, it's something I would really like to add, especially when I see all those Dazzler cards that are in Canada. So it's it's almost selfish from a certain perspective at this point. Um, but right now it's US only. It's something that's important to us, though. But I, I just don't want to get too far over our skis and let everybody down. Well, and listen, he does say he's crushed. and And in a way... It's it's tough. It's tough for me to see this. It's tough for you to see this, I'm sure, as well, Connor. Yeah. And I know Colin's got a, a lot of potential inventory. And, um, you know, I do have a, a lot of Canadian viewers. So, you know, I'd like to try and lobby on behalf of my Canadian viewership and the hobby in Canada in general to say, you know, if it's if it's something you can overcome, 
uh, you know, we, we'd love to see it. And I think you'd, you'd win over some sellers for sure. Like, like Colin Murray, who's, he's typing in all caps. So, you know, he's, you know, that he's, he's passionate, uh, you know, he's passionate about this. So um, yeah. Oh, sorry about that call. Yeah. Terry fortune says, boo. I don't think that's the right response though. Terry fortune. I, I don't think we want to boo. Uh, we want to put booze out there. I think, I think that's not fair. I think it's more or less, as Connor said, they have a small team. There are a lot of a business legal taxation ramifications for doing business across the border. And I think I, I want to be sensitive to Connor for that and just hope that he can allocate some resources to it in the near future. Colin goes on to say, I have nine booths at the sports card expo, which I've seen his setup at the sports card expo in Toronto. It's one of the biggest ones there. So, um, you know, hopefully you can, hopefully you can do it. Uh, hopefully you can do it, you know, sooner rather than later, Connor, maybe, maybe, you know, adjust your roadmap maybe put it up a couple levels on the priority list if you can based mm-hmm. on based on this this discussion here uh first of all before we move on from unless there's something you'd like to say further before i go on yeah yeah um you know teapot kind of hit the nail on the head i know we had kind of put his stuff up on there and i know people are talking about it you know him and i actually had a conversation about that i i had previously met with him kind of when we launched the website and i like, talked at card shows and you know ultimately um that that's one of the things that at times can be disappointing because everybody looks at the industry kind of through a different lens. And I think that that's okay. Um, you know, there's a lot of people, like I said, that may get on my website that collect very expensive cards and they see so many 25 cent cards and whatever else, and they are unhappy by that. And that's okay. I mean, you know, there's different people that have different kind of things that they prioritize in the hobby. I think that, you know, Jeff Wilson, and their team do a great job. I think that you do a great job, Jeremy. And you guys are very different in the content that you provide. I think that an open-mindedness in the hobby to say, hey, just because I collect this way doesn't mean that everybody needs to. And just because somebody goes about, you know, their interest in this differently than me, uh, I don't think that we should try to shut people out for that. I mean, there's a lot of people that are very passionate. And the other thing too, like we said, is I didn't collect hockey cards until, you know, the thickness and the smell and kind of that the colors of the card brought me back to something else that I did like collecting. And so there are people that teapot and them are getting into the industry. There's people you're getting into the industry. I I think that people should try to be a little bit more understanding that there's so many segments. And, you know, if you don't like what somebody's doing or you don't like their business, um, as long as you know that they're being pure of heart and they're not scamming people or ripping people off, there's no reason to be disparaging to them. Um, Because like I said, it's very hard. It's hard to put yourself out there and, and put in the time and money necessary to provide an experience that there are people out there that are, are loving. Yeah. I think that that's really important. Don't uh, yeah. Just uh, give people a chance, right? Give people a chance. They're trying to earn livings, feed families, all that sort of thing and take care of their employees at the same time. So, uh, okay. A couple of comments that have come in. Uh, uh, Bill says, does BSC allow international users? So I think we've addressed that. Can a user have an option to only buy so within their country? So I guess you're, you're U.S. only. Is it sim- as simple as that it's for now? It's just U.S. only right now, yep. For now. Okay, thanks for that. Uh, teapot says, I'm still working on the thick skin part, building it up over time. Yeah, it's like a muscle, Teapot. Uh, me as well, Teapot, me as well. Uh, Joe Perot says, kudos to Connor and Teapot for their work ethic and positivity. Very nice. Joe, referring to you guys as young guns, which I think is really cool because, hey, that's also what the... The basic hockey rookie card is called uh, from Upper Deck's flagship product every year. Mark Santucci, good to see you, says, just came back from a friend's house from watching the Mets-Padres game. 11-18, I was back. Yeah, I guess that's uh, PM Eastern. Good to see you, Mark Santucci. All right, so let me, let, 
I think we're we're getting close to wrapping this up. And I only say that because I'm looking through my notes here and we've covered pretty much everything that I have on here, um, which what we were going to talk about the U.S. only. And I, I kind of feel I feel a little bit bad for for Colin and Terry, who who are in Canada, because I knew that. But it just kind of wasn't top of mind when we were talking to them, and I did. Now I put it together, so um, mm-hmm. it, it is what it is for now. But uh, I think we've probably we've probably managed to move that up a couple rungs on your on your priority list. I, I hope I hope anyway. But can you speak just a bit to your own like personal growth through this? Excuse me, <coughs> through this whole process. How how you like you're a young guy. How have you developed over the past? six and a half months since you've gone live and, and the time before we, while you were planning. Yeah. So uh, that's a really great one. And I, I think that in a lot of ways, that's one of the most beneficial things of, of doing this. You know, a lot of people talk about that too, you know, going through some of the hardest things in your life at times, they're terrible kind of in the moment. Um, but there's the most growth there as an individual. And one of the things that I had to do, I'm obviously a young guy, I'm 25 years old. You know, I, I have a team of adults um, and realizing different, you know, different people are very different. You, you've got to work with people differently to motivate them. Um, you know, there's some people that, you know, being more aggressive with and pushing that way gets the best out of them, whereas other people may demoralize them. And I think learning lessons like, you know, not sacrificing, just winning that battle because you have the bigger war, bringing people along through stuff like that. Those are things that I'm going to take into being a father. I mean, you know, having a son that's 10 and a half months old, it, it, it's those kind of life lessons that have provided a ton of value to me. And Ultimately, one of the reasons why beyond, you know, having a business out of this that I want to keep doing this is because I love it. I mean, it's every day. It's like I feel like I have so much personal growth that has nothing to do with the hobby. It, But I think some of the greatest business principles about how you should conduct business, if you live your life that way, um, it provides a ton of value. And, you know, another thing that I also really realized is just there was a. I, I have a, my dad passed away and I had to come in and help our family business. That was kind of one of the things that delayed me being able to do this. And then COVID hit and everything else. Um, and when we were getting closer to the site, I was still doing a lot of stuff at my card store, which I co-owned, but I didn't work at day to day doing stuff at my family business, you know, juggling hobbies and having a kid and the family and everything else. And I saw something that it said, you know, you can do anything you want, but not everything you want. And that was a huge eye opener to me. And even though I think that I have a unique insight. I think I work very hard. I think that maybe I have some innate business skills or understanding of this business that I needed to be completely dedicated. And so, you know, even in the thumbnail, I know you said that I put my life savings behind this. It's the same thing with my effort. I've sacrificed my hobbies. I've sacrificed other business interests that I was working on. I've sacrificed time away from my family. And it kind of took me back to this Cortez analogy where, you know, Cortez was an explorer and you know, they were there to conquer basically a village and the men were scared. And what they did was they burned the boats and it was like, you're not going home. You either go in and fight or you die. And, and that's really kind of the commitment that I think is necessary to be successful, especially in an, in an industry that's this competitive going up against some of these bigger people um, that either have way more money or way more name recognition than we do is that I had to be committed. And ultimately, you know, I go to sleep well at night, not just from being tired, but also from the fact that I know that I'm giving it everything. And if it doesn't work out, it's not going to be from lack of effort or lack of passion. That's, that's good stuff right there for sure. Um, and it's, it's good to hear that you're open to the personal growth and uh, learn as you go. I mean, it's, it's exciting times, man. You're, you are, you are, you are young at 25 years old. Um, yeah, you're exactly half my age, which is 
mind boggling. Uh, you're, you're pretty well, you're, you're a sharp guy. And, uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm really happy that you're in the hobby. I think you're going to bring, you know, whether or not buy sports cards becomes your lifelong project and pursuit, maybe, maybe you sell it, something else comes along, whatever it may be, whether it's buy sports cards or something else, I think that you're going to be a big success one way or another, um, hopefully in the hobby. So I hope your focus you. does remain here in the hobby because it's, you know, my number one love outside of the, the, the obvious like family and all that. So um, mm-hmm. good stuff. Okay. Let's go through some comments here again. Uh, Mod cult collectibles says a great show. BSC is great. Thank you for that. Mod cult. Mark Santucci, uh, who did arrive late due to the baseball game. Uh, you do collect hockey cards. You do the, he, He's collecting the pink dazzlers right now, Mark. That's what he's collecting, but not you're not a fan of any spe- specific team. You live in St. Louis. Have you ever been to a blues game? Yeah, I have been to a blues game. Uh, my my cousin was actually the emergency goalie for the blues. So it was funny the year that they actually won the Stanley Cup, one of the goalies had gotten hurt and they had to bring uh, Bennington up. I think it was from San Antonio is where they have the minor league team or whatever. And so he actually he practices with them always, but he actually got to dress out. And he had a big feature kind of on him on the NHL kind of TV network and stuff like that. So I do keep up with the blues, just being a local team, you kind of root for them, but it's not something, you know, it's funny because cards can bring you into actually the sport, you know, and I ask people that a lot of times, like, what do you collect that you don't watch? Because, you know, sometimes you, the cards are cool and it's like, well, you know, maybe I'll try watching the sport and you find something interesting about it. That's kind of where I'm at with hockey. Uh, hockey. I'm actually excited to see where my interests go with it. Right on. Well, hopefully you find something more so than just the set. You find a player or something like that. But we'll leave that to you. You're busy as it is. Justin Vick says, Sports Cards Live has inspired me to buy 2,200 plus hockey cards over time. Wow. I should be the one saying, baby, that, that's amazing. I, I didn't think that uh, that I had that, that being here, putting myself out on, on, on YouTube like this, and doing these interview shows would 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 um, inspire anybody to buy over twenty two hundred hockey cards. Justin Vick, that's awesome. Thanks for letting me know. I'm I'm that's awesome. What else can I say? Uh, Teapot says I had a really good boss who told me every time you have a hard day, take note that you experienced growth, like weightlifting. No pain, no gain. That's good stuff right there. Goes on to say every day I ask myself three questions: one, did I do my best? Two. Did I do it? Did I do the right thing? And three, did I follow the golden rule being treat people the way you'd like to be treated? Good stuff, Teapot. Great advice right there. Love it. Fowl Fireball wants to know where your card shop at is. Michael Stone says St. Louis area. Can you shout out the uh, maybe the name and address of your card shop? Yeah, so our card shop, for anybody that's familiar with the St. Louis area, it's actually in the Chesterfield Mall. So it's in Chesterfield, Missouri, which is like the suburbs of St. Louis. The store is called Mystic TCG. Like I said, we do mostly trading card games, Yu-Gi-Oh! being kind of our biggest one. Um, but it's it's a great store. And, you know, one of the things that brings me a lot of enjoyment, once again, is people come up there and, and have tournaments and have made lifelong friends. And, you know, I think life's hard enough whenever you have something that brings people together and, you know, can be a distraction from the rest of the world. You know, I'm glad that we can provide an experience like that for our customers. Good stuff. Uh, Michael Stone says, congrats on the success, Connor. Nothing but the best. Please reach out to me on Card Life. See if I can help you out at all. Very nice offer, uh, Michael Stone. And um, I can tell you after a bit about Card Life and how to get involved with with that if you would like I'm in, to. Yeah, I'm in sure. Card Life. You are? Yeah. There. Oh, there. okay. So you already know about it. So there I you know Michael, Michael. there. Yeah, that's really cool. Right on, right on. 
Uh, Joe Perot says, I have a single Gretzky rookie card and I love it. See, Joe is actually like a very good friend of mine. And uh, and I've only been able to influence him or inspire him to buy one hockey card. Meanwhile, Justin Vick bought over 2,200. I think that means that me and Justin Vick are 2,200 times better friends than me and Joe Perot are. Just kidding to both of you. Good stuff. Joe says, all about the oil dot. T-Dot says, uh, Connor, get a Gretzky rookie. <laughs> and then Terry Fortune, who has like 150 of them, says, Jeremy inspired me to buy a couple of boxes of Pokemon. I think he should buy them from me. Yeah, I'm down to one card in my, one Pokemon card in my uh, collection. Terry, you're on your own there, buddy. All right. Well, hey, we've hit that 90-minute mark, Connor. This has been, uh, it's been really enjoyable. I, I, I'm glad, I'm so glad that I had you on. You are an inspirational guy. Uh, you're young. You, I think you're. I think you kind of represent uh, this next generation of hobbypreneurs and kind of not represent, but you're, you're, you, you do, but you're also among them already. And I think it's awesome because the hobby has a hopefully a long, fruitful future, and with a lot of sharp minds like your own working to make it better to build tools, uh, it should be. I think we're in good hands moving forward. So. Definitely a pleasure to have you on. Michael Stone says, great show. Getting past my bedtime. Good night. Thank you, Michael Stone, for joining. As always, Digstown says, amazing show. Really appreciate that, Digstown. Thank you for joining. Uh, I mean, I could sit here and compliment you for the next 20 minutes, but I'll stop there. I think it's it's apparent that I'm impressed by you. Uh, anything you'd like to say as kind of final comments? And if any more comments come into the chat, guys, please get them in pretty quick here because we're going to wrap up. But Final comment to you, uh, Connor. We'll go to the comments from the chat. If any more come in, then we're going to end the episode. Sure. Yeah, Jeremy, I, I really want to say thank you for having me on the show. I'm actually somebody that has watched your shows for a while now. And I think that you play a really valuable role in the industry. So I think that um, I think you deserve your flowers as well. I know I've said this to you privately, but I, I hope the audience also knows how vital of a role I think you play in kind of giving platform to kind of the voiceless in the news companies. Because at times it is hard to break in um, and there are certain kind of segments that, you know, aren't always as open about wanting to bring in new competition. And so I really appreciate you having us on the show. I would love if anybody would check out the website, any, any feedback that you guys have at the end of the day, our goal, everything kind of goes back to making it easier to buy and sell cards online. So if you have any feedback for us, feel free to send it our way. We have a lot of exciting stuff that's coming out, you know, in the next few months and hopefully the next few years. And, you know, I, I'm really just glad to have been on the show and I'm glad to be a part of the community. So. I'm excited to see what, you know, this, the end of this year and the next year bring for our company and also the hobby. All right. Well, I wish you all the best, Connor, moving forward with buysportscards.com. Guys, check out the Center Stage app. That's on the ticker right now, too. But I'm going to switch it back now to Connor's company. You can sign up for the website, buysportscards.com. Follow them on Instagram, buysportscards, and Twitter, home of the hobby. Uh, Frank Chain, thank you very much. Great guest. That's a, That's great. Great feedback. T dot says, Connor, you reap what you sow. We can tell. I can tell you are. He is out there sowing. He is working hard. He's persistent. He's passionate. I love it. Uh, Hobby Champs, good to see you. Thank you very much. And Teapot says, cheers to you both. Enjoyed listening. All right. Thank you, everybody, for joining us tonight. This was a great show. We'll see you back again next Saturday on Sports Cards Live. Have a great week ahead, Connor. Thank you again, everybody. This episode is now over. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. 
Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device, or play on PC through Facebook Games.